transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it is just another very beautiful South Texas morning out there. Big happy Mother's Day to all the moms of the world. Whether you've got two-legged kids or four-legged kids or grandma or whoever you want to celebrate this day with, just don't let it get by without uh, without doing anything you can for the moms in your life. You know, a little quality time is probably worth more than anything, but a few flowers never hurt. I All my friends in the uh, restaurant business tell me the worst day, worst two days of the year to take somebody out to dinner are Valentine's Day and Mother's Day, so maybe you might want to put that off till uh, one evening this week, but uh, that's totally up to you. But anyway, it is, uh, it is a very important day out there, and uh, on a personal note uh, for us here at Shades of Green. It's kind of a big day for us too. It's our anniversary. We opened on Mother's Day 40 years ago. Boy, that seems hard to believe. But uh, anyway, unfortunately, with all the COVID and stuff, we can't do our usual ice cream that we serve from the wonderful folks at Bluebell and all that sort of thing. Hopefully, we'll get back to that at some point in the future. But uh, Anyway, it is just a gorgeous day, and we're going to have fun talking gardening today. Looks like we're going to start out with Bobby and Julie and Pam. And as much as I hate to keep people waiting, why don't we just get started with phone calls, Don? And Bobby will be up first. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you today? Uh, just another gorgeous day out there, so I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, doing good, doing good. I'm out here in my corn patch. Okay. And... Uh, I'd like to know what do you recommend as far as uh, so the corn patch is probably a hundred feet long and about four four or five rows. Okay. And uh, what's the best way to uh, to do the uh, has to grow uh, liquid fertilizer? Do you have a hose bib out there at the, at the corn patch? Yes, I do. I got my okay. drip system in also. Okay. Well, there is a neat little device called a siphon mixer. And, um, I, you know, well, I'll give you two options. Um, first of all, if you want to fertilize using a hose, uh, the siphon mixer is a little device that fits between the hydrant and the hose. Or, you know, if you have to hook two hoses together, then you would go between the last two. You want to you wanna have as short a hose as possible between the outlet, between the breaker nozzle and the siphon mixer. And then you simply uh, put your, uh, your has to grow as a concentrate in a bucket, siphon mixture automatically mixes its 16 parts of water to one part of your concentrated fertilizer, and then it takes just the same length of time to fertilize as it does to water, except that you just, you know, you need to mix up that bucket of, uh, has to grow uh, 16 times as concentrated as usual. I learned about siphon mixtures way back in the eighth grade when I first started growing orchids, and uh was mixing my my fertilizer you know one milk jug at a time and it moved my watering time from two hours to about five minutes to get the feeding done so doing it with a hose 
Yeah, doing the hose, uh, that's real easy. Now, with your drip system, because you are going to get a little back pressure in the line, that's going to keep the siphon mixer from really working, So, uh, at least working the way it should. So um, what you're going to need to do is probably talk to a sprinkler system company. I got mine from uh, S.A. Rainmaker, people that I've known for years. But it's a little bit more expensive uh, uh, proportioner that simply you just basically you plummet in uh, uh, ahead of your outlet and it automatically does the mixing. It's, it's a tank that you in effect put your concentrate in. Uh, most of them have like a, a diaphragm system and uh, uh, it automatically mixes your fertilizer regardless of water pressure uh, so that way you can just run your fertilizers through your drip system uh, maybe James will call if he's listening this morning and tell us how he does because I know he you know he uses a lot of it and so far as I know he uses t-tape but uh, he probably has a system that runs it through that and so James if you're listening out there you know how to do the timing give us a call and tell us how you do it but those are really the two options um, uh, the siphon mixer, gosh, I think they're about 15 bucks, 17 bucks, something like that. And the only thing that you have to remember is you can't put a lot of back pressure through the hose or it won't siphon properly. That means you can't put on a super powerful spray nozzle or something on the end because, again, that's going to put back pressure. Uh, if you've got, let's say you have 150 feet of hose, you never put the siphon mixture at the hydrant. You put it out between the last section of hose uh, so that you'll get you know as little back pressure in the line as possible. Uh, my friends in the fire department, when we learned how to yeah, how to control pressure in fire hoses, uh, they call it the coefficient of friction is what comes into play there. But I'll leave the leave the engineers and physicists to figure that one out. But anyway, that that is that is the easy way to fertilize when you have you know a, a pretty big patch. Now, do you do you grow pretty do you grow pretty good corn with that layout? Well, so I. I got a different seed variety this year, uh-huh. and um, I, I found this uh, seed company. So I ordered some seeds, but previously I was getting seeds from a local feed store, and I'm not uh-huh. really too sure how good they took care of those seeds. But I never had sure. a good patch at the feed store. So this here, it's it's probably about five foot tall already, and uh-huh. there uh, I see ladybugs when I'm spraying the sunset uh-huh. soap. So I hope I'm not killing them. But uh, there's uh, they look good. I mean, we got some good uh, stuff there, you know. Okay, but, uh, tell me uh, if if your rows are a hundred feet long, and how many rows do you have? Five. Five. You would do better as far as getting quality corn if you had 10 50-foot rows or 20 25-foot rows because corn is strictly wind-pollinated and it has to fall off of that tassel up on top and land on the silks on the developing ears. And if you, when you harvest your corn this summer, if you find that it seems like the ears are missing some kernels or just not really well filled out, that's going to be a sign you're not getting good pollination so you 
you know, if possible, you want to make your corn patch almost as wide as it is long or just make it as wide as possible because obviously with 10 rows, you're going to have a whole lot better pollen distribution uh, than you are with five rows because, you know, you, you get a wind blowing. Let's say your rows run east-west. You get a wind blowing from the south. The That south row is not going to get much pollen at all because it's blowing all the... Uh, you know, all the wind or all the pollen to the north, the wind is blowing it there. But if you have multiple rows, you just simply get better pollination. I'm sure what you understand what I mean by that. So, uh, yeah. uh, you know, just when you when you harvest your corn, like I say, if you seem to be getting ears that aren't filled out, next year, if possible, rearrange your system where you've got shorter rows and more of them and you grow better corn. Okay. Yeah, last year I saw some of that. Um, okay. Kernels missing. And I saw yeah. some little critters in there eating too, so I'm sure. <laughs> welcome you to know. the world of growing corn. My world, I tell you, I think raccoons invented the internet a long time before Al Gore thought he did, because like the day before my corn gets ripe, the local raccoons send out an email to every raccoon in Kendall County, and they all show up, and uh, and it's amazing how much damage they can do in a single night, and. Uh, uh, I use a little bit of electric fence to try to avoid that problem. So <laughs> anyway, keep an eye on your corn because they're, yes, sir. Oh, and I, I, you know, I, I, I actually I get so mad at them. I go out sometimes before I go to bed and take the hose and wet down the soil all the way around that electric fence. So to be sure that raccoon gets real good ground contact and uh, just makes me smile when I hear that scream in the middle of the night. And I know a raccoon just has found electricity. So anyway, corn's fun. Corn is delicious, but it can be a little challenge to grow sometimes. So I like your second option because then I could fertilize the whole unit, the whole patch here. Because I have yep. pickling cucumbers, onions, bell peppers, and, and tomatoes. So you said SA Rainmakers? Yeah, SA Rainmaker is where I got mine, but I'm sure any good sprinkler system company is not the kind of thing you're going to find, uh, you know, at a box store and be prepared to pay, I don't know, probably $150, $200 for a good unit, but you take care of it and it'll last you forever. Okay. And the other unit, the siphon, um, where where do you locate that unit from? Any Any good nursery should handle those. Oh, okay. And like I say, you're probably, I'd have to go look on the shelf in there, but I, I think they're 15 to 20 bucks, something like that. My first one was 750 or something like that, but that was a couple of years ago. Okay, and I'm sure Sage of Green has good quality uh, equipment there. We do our best to keep it on the shelf. I tell you what, this crazy year supply has been... Ah, a very interesting challenge, but uh, I'll tell you, normally there's a good supply of them over on the on the board that has tools and things like that. I didn't look real carefully this morning, so call for you, make a trip over, but uh, if we don't have them, they'll be in soon. One quick other question, uh, watermelons. Uh-huh. I have watermelons in my, in my other garden, uh-huh. and next to it, I got cantaloupes, the two, Tucson cantaloupes, I believe. Okay. I think that's what they're called. Now, those... Cantaloupes thrive. I mean, I get good size watermelons. Mm-hmm. I have no luck with them. Okay. What's your thought? Um, are you starting good and early? I mean, watermelons uh, really decline when it gets hot. I'd be getting my watermelon seed planted. Ooh, probably by the 15th of March, if at all possible, April 1st at the latest. 
Uh, so yeah, some people don't, don't do well. Uh, the other thing is uh, just like corn pollination. Now, watermelons, of course, are insect pollinated. but uh, And there are a lot of seeds in a watermelon. And you've got to have one pollen grain on the stigmatic surface of the female flower for every seed that would normally be developing in that watermelon. So... Um, uh, frequently uh, poor pollination. It results in a slightly deformed melon and a melon that never really gets good size. So uh, do some things to encourage your bees and you'll grow better melons. Okay. Well, I thank you for your help and uh, appreciate it. And uh, you all have a great day. You do the same, Bobby. Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, that's a little bit longer than I usually take, but a lot of good information. I hope everybody can use there. Quick break, and then it'll be Julie and Pam. I get to talk to you about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center, and they want to let you know they're well-stocked with tropical color and houseplants and things like that for mom today. And, of course, Fanix is open every day. Most nurseries are, are open, uh, you know, on Mother's Day, and, gosh, just a great place. I know cut flowers are beautiful, but they sure don't last. <laughs> you can go to a good nursery like Fanix and uh, you'll get things that mom can enjoy for weeks, months, or even years to come. Fanix is also uh, well stocked on the plants to qualify for that SAWS Water Saver Rebate Program and uh, you know you simply use your coupons from SAWS to uh, purchase a lot of those good things over there. Plus, you know, maybe you're grilling out for Mother's Day and uh, hopefully you've got a good grill. If not, Fanix has those wonderful Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories you need and if mom is a really outdoorsy person check out that battery powered equipment you know uh, you know there are a lot of moms that are physically very capable of using a weed eater or even a chainsaw but they don't use the typical ones because they have to start them and gasoline's a mess and they just those those things just don't start easily well you get a lithium-ion battery powered uh, piece of equipment and there is no starting you simply squeeze squeeze the trigger and go Fanix would love to show you that they've got quite a range of options over there it's just always fun place to visit over there on home green road right where they've been for over 80 years now if you want to check out their website it's fanic f-a-n-i-c-k fanicnursery.com see your friends at fanics south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right back to gardening it's gonna be julie pam and Dwayne, and julie is first good morning julie Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Bob. Thank you for Good morning. Thank you for calling. I, Happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you, sir. I have, and I probably am going to say this wrong, an anacacha orchid tree. You came very close. Anacacho orchid tree. Uh, it's easier to say in Bohemia congestus, so we'll stick with anacacho. Okay. All right. Uh, it, at the very base, at the ground, it's split into two trunks. Okay. Um, on the left side, the left trunk is green and blooming and happy. The mm-hmm. right side started to leaf, and then the leaves curled up and dried up and fell off. Okay. And at the base of the trunk, I'm getting some growth, but uh-huh. I, I'm not sure if I should wait or cut the right side off, or I, I don't and- know what to do and how how long ago did this sprouting out dying back occur? Uh, like last ago. month, the two. Yeah. <clears throat> two three okay. Weeks. 
Yeah, I, I think you probably might as well cut that right trunk off. It's weird how this freeze affected different things, but in all honesty, when you have a, a trunk that comes up and splits into two, divides into two, that's typically a very weak joint. And somewhere down the road, when both halves of that anacacho got big, they, they don't get tall like some of the other orchid trees do, but they can fill out and get very heavy. It's not a little unusual if you get a windstorm for them to just split in half and break and all of a sudden you got two halves down on the ground. So I'm not really disappointed that you're taking off half of it. It's going to look a little lopsided at first, but it will most definitely fill out. And if you have more growth coming from the base, um, by all means, let it grow. The 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 Anacacho orchid tree is really much more successful and much prettier grown as a big bush than trying to make it tree form like you would with the purple orchid tree or the Hong Kong orchid tree. So, yeah, if it was mine, I would very carefully uh, take off that dead trunk and. Uh, you know, I make my first cut, you know, at least a foot up so you don't accidentally cut too much. You don't actually cut into the good half of the trunk. I make my first cut maybe a foot up uh, so that then you are not working with so much weight and the potential for it to pull or split or anything else. But uh, I don't think there's any rush to do this, but uh, I, that's what I would do if it were mine. Okay. Okay, and then you would eventually work down to all the way at the base, cut it all the way off at the base. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would cut it off uh, as low as you can without damaging the tissue underneath that point because, uh, like you say, you've got little sprouts coming out, and it can sometimes be hard to, to cut off that dead trunk without doing damage to the new growth that's coming out. So if you wind up leaving it six inches up or something like that, not a real big deal. If it was an oak tree, the story would be totally different, but on a show uh no just just cut it back as much as you can without damaging what's around it okay okay all right perfect well that's all i have for today but i appreciate it very much because well you get out and enjoy your special day it wasn't looking like it <laughs> well the anacacho is the most cold hardy of the three common varieties of orchid trees and uh is yours the white one yes sir yeah, there there is a pink form. If you ever find one of those, latch onto it because it's also very unique. Uh, but it's a wonderful tree, great tree, much like I say, most cold hardy of the three varieties. So uh, you enjoy. Okay, thank you so much. You're sure welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Pam's going to be up next. Good morning, Pam. Hi, Bob. Hi there. Thank you for my call. Thanks for calling. I live in Bolverde, and we had gotten a Texas redbud, and it's. Uh, pretty pretty small diameter. It was about a seven-foot tree, about uh-huh. an inch in diameter, tall tree. We got it from a local nursery, so we'd make sure that it was kind of staying in the same area. And we planted uh-huh. it about a year and a half ago in October. And it seemed to be fine up until uh, it bloomed out in March. Uh-huh. And beautiful. The leaves started coming out. And it seemed like after the rains that we had out here that the leaves, like, I don't know, about a week, I didn't even notice. All of a sudden, the leaves are dead. They're just hanging there. And they're, they're making noise when it, it's like a, a wind chime when, it, when, it, you know, when, it's, when the sure. wind comes. And which variety of redbud is this? The limbs are still green, mm-hmm. and I just don't know what's going on with that. I don't know if the, the cold weather got it. I don't and know. no, the cold weather, cold weather didn't get it. Which variety of redbud is this? 
They said it's a Texas red bud, is what, what okay. they said. Okay, yeah. Yeah, red buds are probably the most sensitive trees I know of to staying too wet. And there are far more red buds killed from too much water than from too little. I mean, once, they, once they've been in the ground four or five months, uh, you should almost never have to water that tree. And uh, the mm-hmm. fact that it started really going bad after the rain. Now, you've probably been a real good mom, and you've probably been uh, just, just watering it whenever you thought about it. And, uh, and then we see people go and plant plants that like lots of water, like impatience or, you know, periwinkles or something mm-hmm. like that. They plant them around the base, and then the flowers do great, and the red bud dies. So at this mm-hmm. point, your best hope of saving it, uh, because obviously it's got some life in it, it just doesn't have, because it has had a bunch of root damage, doesn't have the energy to, in effect, put out new leaves. Take your pruning shears and take every limb on that red bud and cut it back by about half. Uh, if we're lucky, that's going to concentrate the auxins that make the buds swell and grow. But just put your garden hose away, and unless we go for three months without rain, uh, you said this has been in about a year and a half, so it, it should be well established by now, and it should virtually never need any help from Julie. Redbuds just are not real disease susceptible. Uh, Texas redbud is a good variety. There's a variety called Oklahoma, which confusingly is a variety of Texas redbud that's usually grown in California. So uh, if you decide to replace, look for an Oklahoma if you can, but it has darker pink flowers, has glossier leaves, and has uh, less fungal issues on the leaves but let's do everything we can to save your current tree uh if you have any super thrive uh next time that tree needs water next time you can stick your finger in and the soil's dry two inches deep uh then add some super thrive to the water that you water it with and uh we're just gonna have to keep our fingers crossed and and hope that it comes out but uh red buds i tell you i think probably 80 percent of them that are planted are killed with kindness Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, that's great to know. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, it's a hard lesson to learn, but uh, uh, we've all done it. I've killed a red butter, too, uh, not realizing that I put it in an area where it was a little lower, where the soil stayed too wet. But uh, pretty sure that's what you're looking at. A little super thrive and a lot less water. We'll keep our fingers crossed for you. Okay. Thank you so much for the info. And you have a happy yeah, Mother's Day as well, Pam. Well, thank, thank you so you much. Bet. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, let's get a break in here, and we get to talk about the tank and depot. And once again, it would appear that maybe, maybe we're moving back into a little bit wetter period. Your true meteorologist would tell you we're moving out of Enso neutral and into an El Nino, maybe hopefully into an El Nino pattern, but we're moving out of La Nina, which means it's going to rain more often. Wouldn't it be nice to have rainwater to water with? I mean, if you had a regular average size home, that little spell we had about 10 days ago, you could have probably collected 15,000 gallons of uh, rainwater if you had good tanks to store them in. You know, that's the secret, having quality tanks. And that's what the Tank Depot is all about. They've got every style, every shape, every size of rainwater catchment tank you could imagine, all just absolute top quality on all at very reasonable prices. And if you have room for a big tank or two, 
well, they can even deliver for you. But it's not all about rainwater tanks. They have every kind of tank you can imagine, from transfer tanks to uh, chemical storage tanks, open-top tanks, bait tanks. If you're in the market for a tank, don't settle for those tanks sitting out by the road in front of a box store. You can bet those are not real good quality, and they're not going to be very durable long-term. You just need yourself to uh, get yourself over to the Tank Depot. Weekends, check them out online, tank-depot.com. Uh, weekdays, go see them. Sales chart is on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue. It is the Tank Depot. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Guess it's going to be the guys segment. It's going to be Dwayne, Glenn, and Elroy. And Dwayne's up first. Good morning, Dwayne. Hey, good morning. Morning, sir. I got one question for you today. Okay. I um, had uh, several uh, potted plants on my patio, and I went and picked one of them up, and Mm -hmm. the roly polies just poured out of the bottom of them. Oh, yeah. They're just infested. Uh, and I, picked, I was able to pull one of the root balls out, and it was, I don't know, three or four inches worth of Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. How do I get it's soil gone and, and roots demolished. There is a non-toxic bait out there, and it's called Sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O, Sluggo Plus. You don't want the regular Sluggo. It's just for snails and slugs. Sluggo Plus gets snails, slugs, and pill bugs. And because it's a bait, you don't have to worry about trying to get it inside the pot or anything like that. Just... Uh, uh, when you get through watering at some point, it, it kind of becomes deactivated if it gets wet. So pick a, a time when you're not getting ready to water. Uh, I sprinkle it around in the evening, and it's amazing how much of it is gone the next morning and how many fewer pill bugs there are. I can tell you you're going to go on seeing a lot of pill bugs because you're going to be drawing them from all over the place, maybe even the neighbors. Uh, they will come to that bait. But that is, yeah. That is by far the safest way to do it. Um, if you want to do it the no-cost way, what you can do is take a glass jar, not a plastic jar, but a slick-sided glass jar, bury it down into the ground somewhere nearby, or you know, even take another pot if you don't have uh, you know an open soil bed nearby, and uh, bury it down to where just maybe a quarter of an inch of the lip is up there. Put a slice of apple or a couple of pieces of lettuce or something like that in there. The pill bugs will crawl over the edge. They can't get back out, and in a couple of days, you'll have a you know you'll have two inches of dead pill bugs in the bottom. I've had people tell me, "Look out!" because if it rains and it fills with water for whatever reason, decaying pill bugs create a pretty ta- uh, caustic thing that you normally would want to get on your skin. I'm not sure what that would be all about, but uh, uh, that's that's the way you can create your own pill bug trap. And uh, it, it's extremely efficient, and as long as you've got a slick-sided glass jar, it's uh, free. And and they're actually eating the roots. Is that what they're doing in there? Oh, they're eating the roots. They will eat the uh, on tender plants like begonias. They eat the stems. They eat the leaves. They eat everything. Uh, they can be devastating on peppers and tomatoes and uh, you know young bean plants and things like that in the vegetable garden. Uh, pill bugs, roly polies may be cute, but they are. Uh, pretty is as pretty does, and they're not. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That may be what's eating some of my, uh, one of my tropicals in the front yard then, too. The leaves are just eaten up, especially the, the, the new ones sprouting out from the bottom. If if they're tender leaves, if they're tender leaves, it might be pill bugs. If they're tougher leaves, it's probably <clears throat> sort of a 
beige caterpillar that loves hibiscus and things like that. So uh, if you go the sluggo route, you might pick up a little bit of uh, BT. You can actually get it nowadays in a uh, mixed up and you know, ready to spray form. I prefer getting the concentrated mixing my own because I can add a little bit of molasses and make it about 20 times more effective. But uh, BT is uh, very effective as caterpillar killer and uh, harmless to uh, harmless to other things. Won't do anything against pill bugs, but uh, and we don't spray it widely because we don't want to kill the caterpillars that make the beautiful butterflies. But uh, sure. those ones that make a nondescript moth and uh, eat your hibiscus and your bougainvilleas yeah. and things in the process, uh, we're not real concerned about say their miserable furry skins <laughs> wonderful all right well thank you i got uh, some work to do today then very good all very right, good have a great, my great pleasure day. Dwayne. thank you sir you too all right glenn should be up next good morning glenn good morning sir good morning i have one question for you okay. we uh, have two avocado trees one was grown from seed the other one was purchased Okay. And we had them sheltered uh, in a plastic shed with the old style Christmas tree lights to give off heat. Uh, and they yeah. made, it, made it through the snow and the freeze. But mm-hmm. a couple of days later, we pulled them out, and the uh, they were about five, six foot tall, about seven years old, and the tops all died. But okay. we have mul- multiple shoots coming out from the bottom. My, and mm-hmm. I cut off the main dead uh, trunk, but should I make it into a single trunk by taking all those other ones off or leave it as a bush? That totally depends on the look that you want. Um, you know, obviously a single trunk takes up less room, but I'll tell you, a bush will give you three times as many avocados. So uh, the the choice is yours. Um, most avocados are cutting grown. Um, some of them are grafted. Look carefully. Obviously, with your seed grown ones, this is not an issue. But uh, the one that was not the one that was purchased, uh, look down toward the base, and if you see a you know a graft point, if you see where it looks like you know one stem ends and there's another stem coming out to the side, that would indicate that it was a grafted variety. And with that one, um, you're, you probably should trim everything off and see if you can force any growth into the top because the rootstock is not going to be as good a quality as what was grafted onto it. But the majority of avocados these days are, are not grafted. So uh, what is growing out will be the same you know, as the top. Now, your seed-grown avocado has to be about eight years old before it's mature enough to bloom. Uh, but your purchase plant... Uh, it, it, you know, it has the potential to produce avocados any time. It may need a year to regrow, but uh, no reason at all not to, not to, you know, support it. Like I say, I would let it be a bush. We've got a couple of them we planted here at the nursery. Like you, the tops froze, but they're sprouting out for the base. We're just going to let them grow up and be a bush, and hopefully for a couple of years from now we'll be growing, eating a lot of homegrown guacamole. Well, I mean, uh, is this new growth going to be the same age as like the seven or eight years old that was? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. It, it's a maturing process, which has to do with, uh, you know, actually some changes within the DNA and RNA of the plant. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's already, you're not set back. You're not back to square one. If it was five years old when it froze back, uh, you've only got three years left till you should start seeing blooms and fruit. Maybe less, but typically avocados, the maturation time is about seven to eight years. 
Wow, because these uh, <laughs> since they started sprouting out, they they've grown well over a foot in the, probably the last thirty days. Well, keep in mind that they have the root system of a bigger plant. So when a plant freezes down and then sprouts out, it typically regrows much faster than it did the first time around. So, uh, you know, stand out of the way so it doesn't jump up and hit you in the face as it comes up. <laughs> it seems like it's almost that fast sometimes. Yes, sir. I thank you for your time. Have a safe and blessed day, sir. You do the same. I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, uh, let's go ahead and talk to Elroy. Elroy, I'm sorry we ran short on time at the end of the show yesterday, but we've got time to talk today. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Very I've good. Got a question in regards on a number of questions. First of all, uh, I'm living with my daughter. Uh huh. And we, I told you yesterday about. The small garden that we started, we started right. and uh, they brought her red clay, and it's got that ragweed in it. And mm-hmm. in planting my tomatoes yesterday, I dug down, you know, just to plant tomatoes. I had them in pots. Right. About six inches on the plant, one of those ragweed plants. So I dug down deeper, and I dug down to 12 inches, and I never got to the bottom of that thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can I ever yeah. get rid of those things? Yes, sir, you will. Of course, uh, you know, they they normally, the plants will freeze. And, of course, in Fredericksburg, uh, you know, you get more winter than we do in San Antonio. So you may fight them through the growing season. I would cut them off repeatedly. Do not let them go to seed because ragweed makes a lot of seed. But uh, uh, the other option is when hot summer gets here, if your spring garden is through producing, uh, maybe you can do half of it or, you know, depending on what you want to do, you can do what we call solarizing, and that is wet the soil, put some plastic over it, and let it sit for about six weeks and just bake, and that will kill the ragweed out too. But uh, normally, freezing weather in the winter kills it. It regrows from seed. If you can keep it from making seed this year, the next year you should be totally free of problems. Okay. Now the next question is, will plants grow in that stuff? Oh yeah. I tell you, when it dries, you you had it clawed, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You could build dams with it. Four inches thick, and when it dries, you'd swear it was a rock. Yes, sir. I've had. Yep. You want to get uh, some compost, and you can either blend some compost into it, or just you know put a couple of inches of compost on the surface of the soil. When you water the compost, you'll leach a lot of humic acids and things down. And uh, I had a spot in my garden that was hard clay like that. And I basically, everywhere I was going to plant a tree, I just dumped half a dump truck or half a uh, wheelbarrow full of compost down. And uh, within a few months, that soil underneath it was totally soft and just 100% different. So you want to get some more organic material. You want to get some more life back into the soil. And uh, just a good organic, probably manure-based compost is is going to do that faster than anything. Well, uh, I put in two inches of compost on top of it, and it was before that rain. Uh-huh. And uh, it dissolved some of mm-hmm. those rocks. Yeah. But 
uh, <laughs> in leveling, you know, when I got ready to plant, I tried to level the garden and uh, a lot of places uh, I got bound to clay again. And Yeah, I'd, I'd probably do... I'd, yeah, do a couple more inches of compost. It's just when you're in those clay soils, you know, the people before you just burned them out probably with chemical fertilizers and all. And it, it takes a little time to soften it up. But compost will do it, spraying it down with Medina Plus or Medina Soil Activator. That will help. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't didn't get hard overnight, and it's not going to be the kind of soil you're used to overnight. But you keep after it. You're a good gardener. You'll soften it up. But compost and uh, either molasses or Medina Plus are both uh, going to really help speed the process along. Okay, now I've got a um, fig tree. It was a tremendously big tree. It, <laughs> it grew out about 15 feet in each direction. Yeah. And the basic limbs were six inches in diameter. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the limbs came down and some of the limbs grew roots. Well, right. I checked the tree yesterday and cut some limbs off. Oh, I guess about back about three or four feet. Uh-huh. And they seem to be dead. Mm-hmm. But those little branches underneath that had grown roots mm-hmm. already had leaves yeah and yeah just just let it grow back out again i've got a fig tree on my ranch it's probably older than you are and i know that's quite a few years and it's frozen down to the ground numerous times and then come back out after a freeze mine was probably 15 feet tall and 15 feet wide and it totally froze to the ground but i've got new shoots that are already a foot or two tall uh, they will regrow very quickly, and since figs aren't grafted, uh, the ones that are coming out from the base of your tree are going to be exactly the same variety. So, uh, water fertilize and a uh, little bit of patience. You'll have a you'll have a big fig tree again pretty soon. Well, I'm going to have about ten fig trees. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to separate them, where they have that—that's what we call layering. Where uh, you know, lots of times people do this intentionally. They'll put a scoop of soil over a low limb on something like a fig tree, pin it to the ground, let it root, and then they cut it away from the mother plant and pot it up separately. Um, you can do that and plant them in two or three areas if you want, or you can just let it grow into a, you know, just a thicket of figs, um, whichever given, works for you. I've given given a lot of people fig trees in that. Very manner. good. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, very good. Tell me this. how How's the peach crop looking in Fredericksburg? I know you probably don't have your orchard anymore, but are we going to have good peaches from Fredericksburg this spring? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the, the early uh, ones are gone. Uh-huh. But I think the uh, the later ones, I, I think they survived the, the freeze. Uh, I know I saw a number of orchards blooming, so... Very they good. Seem to be they're going to be all right. Well, there's nothing better than the Fredericksburg peach. I'm sure glad to hear that. Okay, well, thank you a lot. Always a pleasure to hear from you, Elroy. Have a great day, and we'll talk. Thank you. We'll talk again. All right, I get to talk to you for a moment about a yeah, good guy, Dr. Mark Williamson. You know, 
medicine has changed over the years. Dentistry has changed over the years. And unfortunately, a lot of places it's gotten much more impersonal, much more corporate, and quite frankly, just not the quality. You know, a lot of these dental groups, a lot of these corporate structures... It's just, to me, it's sad. You know, they they tell the dentist how much time you can spend with the patient, and they have, you know, basic things. A lot of them bring in their implants, their crowns, things like that from overseas. The quality is just not there. If you want dentistry that's modern dentistry but done in the old-fashioned spirit, you need to get to know Dr. Mark Williamson. And, of course, uh, Dr. Williamson, he's the fellow that Dr. Staffel brought in to carry on his practice. And let me tell you, the man is qualified. The man is trained in many many different aspects of dentistry and oral surgery he's not going to keep referring you out to specialists he's better than most of the specialists are so you're going to be able to take care of a wide range of issues and he does everything from simple things to really pretty complex dental issues right there in his office in a very very friendly very family friendly fashion you're going to find he's going to turn into not only your dentist but your friend as well and uh you know, of course, my dentist is uh, a just retired fishing buddy of mine for many years, and I got to where I actually look forward to going to see him. I know that may be hard to believe, but when you get uh, to know Dr. Williamson, you will look forward to your cleaning and your dental appointments, and you're going to find all of a sudden you have a lot fewer problems to deal with because Dr. Williamson and his staff are going to take much, much better care of your teeth than you probably ever experienced in your life. If that sounds like the kind of dental care that you would appreciate, you need a new friend in the dental business, business, you call their office. 341-2569. That's 341-2569 for Dr. Mark Williamson and Associates. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Mark, Mike, and Shirley, my next three callers, and Mark's up first. Good morning, Mark. Uh, Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Good morning. Good morning, sir. I had uh, two quick questions. Uh, first one was uh, I bought a couple of uh, comfrey plants, and yes. I'm trying to figure out: um, Are you able to uh, eat eat these uh, herbs, or is that not a good thing to do? Or I I don't recommend it. There are people that make comfrey tea, but uh, in all honesty, there are some carcinogens in comfrey. I use comfrey strictly, you know, topically. Uh, the the sap is just incredible. It takes the sting out of a scorpion bite, a wasp sting, a fire ant bite, takes the itch out of it. Uh, it actually appears to heal brown recluse bites. I mean, the doctors have nothing to deal with a bite of a brown recluse except just cutting away tissue. I've got three friends now, including Dr. Kirby, who totally healed brown recluse bite with the sap from the Company. My friend Rondo over at Rondo's Nature's Way, they actually have a, a trauma cream that includes comfrey. So my recommendation is use your comfrey for that purpose, and uh, I would not be making a tea out of it. Some people do, but uh, that's not my choice. Okay. Okay, got that one. And second, uh, tomorrow we've got some uh, uh, crushed granite coming in. Uh-huh. And uh, should we lay any kind of fabric down or anything down? Absolutely not. Abs- absolutely not. If you put plastic or weed block or mesh of any sort, uh, your granite will not set up. Uh, and uh, it'll just always be loose. You'll be sliding around. You'll have exposed fabric. Just put that granite right on the surface of the ground. Are you creating a driveway, a sidewalk? What are you doing with it? 
It's a uh, it's a walkway around uh, our garden. Yeah, no, just just on the surface of the ground. If if you're concerned about weeds or something, you can put a couple of layers of paper down, which are gonna you know rot away fairly quickly. But uh, the granite is not gonna set up if it has anything underneath it. So I just put it in direct contact with the ground. You know, that's that's what our parking lot is. And uh, let me tell you, it's much more environmentally friendly than asphalt or concrete and uh, hard enough that big trucks drive on it regularly. So uh, uh, now just put it, rake it out. Uh, if it's on a slope and you want to stabilize it a little bit, you can always put a little bit of powdered cement, not concrete, but powdered cement in there. But in a level area, eh, just, just spread it out and... Uh, water it down and you're ready to go and uh you don't need to do anything further is there a certain depth that i should um uh, layer it down or i'd I'd go for at least an inch two inches would be better uh in the case of our parking lot where we needed a very very solid surface uh we actually put uh, packed base underneath it and then put about an inch of uh, decayed granite on top of it your situation uh inch inch and a half two inches uh i i think that's all you're going to need and uh you don't don't certainly don't need to go any deeper than that Okay, that's great. Cause I was, and I was worried about this Bermudan grass. Every time I try to put something, that Bermudan grass always seems to pierce through whatever I'm, I'm putting down. Well, so. and it will try to do a little bit of that, but just hit it with vinegar and orange oil. You control it very quickly, and you'll have a very, very environmentally friendly walkway. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening on a beautiful Mother's Day morning out there. Gosh, I don't know if you've been out a little bit warmer this morning. Uh, uh, if you're out taking that long Mother's Day walk, or if you're doing any heavy exercise uh, with the humidity up, you're gonna you're gonna feel the sweat a little bit. But my gosh, I remember plenty of Mother's Days when it was just stifling hot, and that's not the case this morning. It's just one of those mornings. There's just a, a certain energy to the air. Good chance of some rain tomorrow and Tuesday. It's I don't know if the weather's turned around and being nice to us for a change. We're talking gardening, and the next couple of callers are going to be Mike and Shirley. And Mike is up first. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Well, first of all, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there listening. And uh, well. Yeah, I'm glad you passed that along to all the ladies and, uh, you know, people in your life. So, yes, it is a day to celebrate uh, celebrate our moms, our grandmoms, uh, wives, daughters, uh, even folks that are just moms to their puppy dogs and kitty cats deserve to be uh, to have a special day. <laughs> exactly. Um, three days ago, I purchased a couple of small uh, Texas sage. Uh-huh. I have it on the, on the west, facing the west side, because supposedly it's full sun, right? Yes, sir. And because of the trees that I have, one of them starts getting the sun first before the other one. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's only been, well, I planted it the next day, so it's been in the ground for two days. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them uh, is starting to wilt on me, the one that's getting the, the, the more sun, you know, sooner than the other one. Okay. Um and I know it doesn't require that much water. I mean, I watered it and everything. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, the the wilting can be caused by a lot of different things. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know about uh, Laredo, but uh, we've had a lot of wind, you know, in San Antonio and the hill country. And I've seen a lot of plants just wilting from the dry wind. And you want to be real careful. You always want to feel the soil because people kill plants when they, every time somebody sees a plant wilt, they think it's a water issue. And if you just run and get the hose out. Uh, my rule, have you looked at them this morning? Because my rule is if it's, if it's droopy in the evening, don't worry. If it's still droopy the next morning, then it probably does need some water how does it look today uh it's, it was still drooping and i just gave it some uh has to grow okay do it maybe add a little bit of super thrive to it um okay. you know sometimes uh and it can be any time and it's especially true this crazy year plant availability has been just a weird thing sometimes the uh, plants are not arriving in perfect condition shall we say and some plants are being sold that are not quite up to the usual standards so it's possible that you know that one of those sage just had a better root or had uh, less roots than the other two did so um i i would hang in there with it like say uh, your has to grow sure, will help sure. little super thrive but just be real careful to feel that soil before you water because uh, it sounds like something is going on beyond just simply having dry roots. So uh, be sure when you water, and you know this, you're a good gardener, but water really thoroughly when you water, but don't be tempted to run out there. Now, one thing you can do while the roots are getting established or reestablished, whatever, uh, you can put your finger over the nozzle of the hose and just spray over the stems and foliage, and it will absorb a great deal of moisture directly through that soft bark that a young plant has, oh, okay. and that will many times pull them through while they get the roots reestablished. Don't want to get the ground real wet, but, uh, I mean, even two, three times a day. My old old mentor, Alton Grimm, taught me this when we used to get in bare root fruit trees, and he'd tell me every time you walk by that hose, you, you pick it up and spray those trees down. We did that six, eight times a day, and we sold the healthiest fruit trees of anybody in the hill country as a result. So uh, that's wow. one thing you can do, but let's talk in a couple of weeks and uh, see how it's doing Sure. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and uh, again, uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. <laughs> well, you can say happy anniversary to us as well. This is our 40th anniversary. We opened the nursery, Shades of Green, on Mother's Day 40 years ago. So uh, oh, wow. we get to celebrate along with all the moms. Unfortunately, you know, we used to serve Bluebell ice cream and, you know, make it a real big party. And, of course, with COVID and everything else, we're not able to do that. But, uh, you know, his still just I'd, puts a uh, smile I'd, on your face. I'd, I'd be happy just with your cookies. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of folks would. And uh, Anyway, Mike, you and uh, all of yours have a wonderful day, and keep me posted Thank on you. how that sage does. Thank sure. you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, next up is Shirley. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. How are you this morning? Uh, it's just a beautiful day out there, and my day's off to a good start. I, I have a golden retriever rather than the usual black lab pair here with me this morning, so I've got canine companionship and feline companionship out there, so uh, it's a good day. You can't beat that. You can't beat You certainly that. can't. I have three cats laying around <laughs> me, too. Um, I have three questions. Okay. One, um... I have the smaller variety of the bottle brush. And of uh -huh, course, little John. Grows back. Right. And uh, when they were cut back, some of the limbs were left too long. Mm -hmm. Now they're coming, they're coming out, and even the longer limbs are coming out. Out so on the ends of the, the limbs? 
the, uh, the new growth the land. Okay. The new growth is, is coming up the limb. Would uh-huh. it hurt to cut those limbs down because they're longer than I would like for them to be to make the plant look good. Okay. Tell me how big the leaves are on there. Are they full-size mature leaves or are they just little new leaves just getting started? Some of them are full-size mature leaves. Okay. You know, the the problem is those plants put a lot of energy into making that new foliage come out, and now we're wanting to cut them off and telling them to start all over. That's probably going to be okay, but if you ever find yourself in this situation again, try to, you know, try, try to cut them back before they really put on a lot of new foliage. I, if they were mine, I would go ahead and cut them back. I would also follow it up with some has to grow or something to give them a little bit of extra nutrition. Of course, the sun is the only source of energy. But in my opinion, uh, Little John, which is that dwarf bottle brush, is the toughest and I think the prettiest. It's a darker red and just a, a beautiful little plant. So uh, I'd, I'd go ahead and cut it back, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it off. Don't don't wait till the end of the week. Uh, get out there this morning or this afternoon if you can, and go ahead and cut them back so they don't waste any more of their energy on this part of the plant that's going to get cut off. Okay, I thank you. Next question. Uh, years ago, my brother-in-law gave me some of the, I don't know if you call them common amaryllis or something. You know, they come yeah. in shades of red, and then they mm-hmm. come in the, the red and white. Right. By now, one of them, through 60 years, one of them has survived. But it has multiplied. Uh-huh. Do I just leave those bulbs in the ground, or do I divide them and replant them, or do I just take them up and let them dry and replant them? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> you can do anything <laughs> you want to do with those. That That is the original, uh, I just call them American Amaryllis. Uh, technically, it's Amaryllis Johnsoni, and uh, it is a really, really hardy variety. The bulbs are smaller. The bigger, fancier varieties technically are called Hippiastrum or Dutch Amaryllis. But that old hardy Johnsoni is hard to beat. And, um, again, like you say, sometimes they're solid red, sometimes they are white. Tell me this. When you look at the foliage of that, those plants, is it uniform green throughout, or does do some of the plants have what looks uh, kind of like a little bit of a checkerboard pattern where they're like little squares, some of them are lighter, some of them are darker on the leaves? Uh, and I, it's solid green. They're solid okay. green. That that's good, and here's the reason. Here's the reason I'm asking. Uh, they are susceptible to a virus, which doesn't really, you know, hurt the plants, but it does distort the foliage, and that virus gets transferred from plant to plant. When people are pruning or dividing, it's it's in the sap, and then when you cut on a plant that's got the virus, and then you cut an unvirused plant, that sap transfers the virus into the new plant. Uh, uh, gosh, you know, 10 years ago, we could call it uh, plant AIDS, and everybody understood exactly how it happened. If you feel that uh, all these plants are totally clean, uh, then you can just divide and do whatever. 
Otherwise, I would have, uh, you know, about a bottle of alcohol and a rag out there. And if you're going to divide them, whether you're using pruning shears, a, a knife, a hori hori knife, or whatever, every time you move from one to the next, wipe that knife off so that there's no chance that you're transferring if there is any of the disease in there. Uh, you want to be sure that you don't spread it through the healthy parts of the plant. But uh, you've got a great plant. And uh, my advice, anytime you have a plant you really love, if you can, share it with two or three friends so that if some disaster happens and you lose yours, you can always go back and get a piece of it back from a friend. But whether or not you just leave them to grow as a club, whether you divide them into you know multiple plants, that's totally up to you. Now, if you divide them and the bulbs are relatively small, sometimes it'll be a year or two before they become big enough to bloom again. But uh, you know, again, the choice is yours. You will have you will have more flowers but fewer plants if you leave them as one big clump. But if you'd like to divide and share, uh, they're just a tough, hardy plant. Now, the very best time to do that. Uh, yours have yours already bloomed uh, this uh, this spring. Yeah. Yes, okay. Don't do your dig- digging and dividing now. Let them uh, go ahead and mature. Let them uh, grow. At this point, uh, they are restoring the energy into the bulb. They used up a lot of their storage energy to bloom, and now that's what uh, the sunlight, the green leaves, are putting that energy back into the bulb. So late summer or fall, when the foliage starts to die back, that is actually the best time to do your digging and dividing. The e- easiest way I remember that, and this is true of virtually all bulbs, in fact, virtually, you know, it, it, just any kind of bulb. Uh, if it blooms in the spring, dig and divide in the fall. If it blooms in the fall, like oxbloods and things like that, then dig and divide in the spring. Do your digging and dividing opposite the season of bloom, if that makes sense. It does. Okay, next question. I have a friend that lives in Austin, and she uh-huh. has this gorgeous loquat tree uh-huh. and of course it froze and all the leaves are brown but they're hanging on to the limbs uh-huh. someone told her that if she cut that tree back somewhat that it may come back to life well it may come back regardless of whether you cut it back or not uh, loquats are one of those weird plants that they look good after the freeze, but they've continued to decline since then. Most of the ones that I see here in San Antonio, and in fact, most of the ones I see in Bernie, which is near where I live, uh, they are putting new growth on at the base. Some of them are making new growth on the top and at the base, but they're so darn ugly. I'm telling people, go ahead and cut them back. Cut them back to no more than a couple of feet tall and uh, let them come back out. Now, because those those, those trunks, especially if they have splits in them, uh, those trunks or whatever you want to call them, they are basically dead. So you're not going to really be encouraging new growth by cutting them back, but it'll sure look nicer, and it's a whole lot easier to cut them back before the new growth comes out. I'm I'm looking at a number of plants that people have left the big plant up there, and now they've got that new growth coming out through there, and I'm thinking man, they're going to have a tough time separating out the old dead part without cutting the good new foliage. And right outside our front door here, I, our aspidistra was uh, damaged, and I cut it all the way to the ground. Now, it is a forest of new leaves coming up, but then I look at the you know a neighbor's, and they've got all the nice foliage mixed in with all the dead foliage, and they're going to have a heck of a time trying to sort it out. So I would advise your friend, go ahead and cut it back 
hopefully uh, it will come out from the base, but whether you cut it back or not is, is not really going to influence the regrowth. That is good to know. I have been listening to you for 40 years, and you're my go-to <laughs> man, and I appreciate all of this information. Well, Shirley, it's always a pleasure. You have a very happy Mother's Day, and I'll look forward to our oh, next conversation. I- I have already enjoyed it tremendously, and it will continue. <laughs> I think your attitude is uh, is to be, you know, copied by all the kids and grandkids or whatever your life has in it. It sounds like uh, you've lived life well, and I hope you. Uh, I hope you just continue sharing with all those young people too. Oh, I, I plan to. I've lived eighty four <laughs> years, and I don't plan to slow down anytime soon. Well, you're the kind of person I describe as 84 years young, not 84 years old. <laughs> I'd like to reverse so, it, 48. <laughs> well, I love the story. The old fellow, the doctor examined him and said, Sir, you know, for a guy your age, you're doing really well. I just wish I could make you younger. And the old fellow says, Doc, I don't want you to make me younger. I just want you to be sure I keep getting older. <laughs> so keep the smile going and call me whenever I can help. Thanks so much, Shirley. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Certainly. Goodbye. And I'll tell you one way you keep going is with good, just good health and good supplements to help you maintain that health. Let's face it, as we age, our bodies slow down in producing a lot of things that are things that basically keep us young. Believe me, I rely on my friend Rhonda with Rhonda's Nature's Way to keep me informed. The lady is a just an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to natural things. It will help you live better, help you live uh, more active, more energetic, more pain-free. If you have issues like digestive issues, sleep issues, maybe even mood issues, don't be running to the doctor for some sort of pharmaceutical prescription. Before you do that, talk to Rhonda. If you're wanting to lose weight and not having a lot of luck, talk to Rhonda about the things that she can provide you with that will help you with your weight loss program. And it doesn't mean giving up good taste or even sweets. Gosh, that was uh, that uh, bar of, I'm going to make somebody near me very jealous, that dark chocolate, monk fruit sweetened. Let me tell you what, you're going to find amazing things when you go to Rhonda's Nature's Way. And, uh, and she provides some other therapies as well, the red light therapy, the Beamer therapy, the reflexology, and now a foot bath therapy that can just do wonders to restore your health and, uh, you know, keep your lower legs and feet in even better shape. Rhonda is an amazing person. Her daughter-in-law, all the staff there, everyone that helps out, they are just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to things things that will help you live better. I take some supplements from her that I feel like really strengthen my immune system. I can go on and on telling you about Rhonda. You just need to go see them. Not today, because are always closed on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, you will find people to help you. Southside stores on Southwest Military, Northside stores, uh, they're in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan. So go see Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and straight back to the phone lines. It's going to be Mike and Joyce and Clint, and Mike is up first. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Ah, it's just a beautiful morning out there. Hope yours is going as well as mine is. Oh, it's going great. It's going great. I've been up early and uh, just trying to get things done. Uh, <laughs> Good question. luck on that. <laughs> yeah, just a quick question. I got given a, a like a tomato plant. It, it says like it's a Bonnie, a hybrid or something. Okay. Doing anything, uh, putting anything on the tomatoes or anything. I'm just watering it every day. 
Uh, Have you got it planted in the ground now? No, it's in a pot. It says it doesn't need to be transplanted or anything. Okay. You may not need to water it every day. Uh, Tomatoes actually, you know, they like to get not bone dry, but moderately dry between watering. Keep them too wet. You're actually slowing down production. And once you get fruit, you can actually get cracks in the fruit. So uh, water really thoroughly when you water, but let it get dry a good knuckle deep before you water again. And unless it's just a great big plant in a really small pot, that's probably going to be more like every two or three days. Now, middle of the summer would be a different story, but I want to be careful you're not keeping it too wet but um, you know all tomatoes have similar needs they all need uh, full bright sunlight like say all only watered very thoroughly and then allowed to get dry good and dry on the surface for they're watered again if you want to get the best growth and ultimately the best tomato production I use a liquid fertilizer like has to grow or something similar I'll do that about every two weeks on the plant but it certainly doesn't have to be every watering but uh, uh, without knowing which hybrid, there are probably you know, well over a 1,000 tomato hybrids out there. So don't know if this one's going to be large-fruited or small-fruited or tall-growing or short-growing. We call them indeterminate and determinate. Uh-huh. Um, can't really tell you what to expect from it. But basically, yeah. uh, lots of sun, thorough watering, and then dry in between times. Okay. Yeah, it says like it. I don't know, it's supposed to be done like in 60 days or something. Yeah, that's that's the... Yeah, that's the date to maturity from the time the seed's planted till approximately when you should start seeing fruit. But uh, uh, again, tomatoes can range from 45 days to 85 days. So uh, uh, <laughs> they've given you some general information, and uh, it probably came from Bonnie Plant Farms, and they're bad about putting one the same tag in 50 different kinds of tomatoes. So uh, it's just going to be okay. wait and see, but that's not a bad thing. Okay. I, I haven't met a bad tomato yet uh, compared to what you get in the grocery store should i be dusting it with anything for insects or something and keep an eye on it um generally with tomatoes uh when it comes to insects i'm reactive rather than proactive i watch it carefully the big troublemakers in my garden are stink bugs and you want to keep an eye out for them but other than that tomatoes don't have a lot of problems now there is a big green uh, caterpillar called the tomato hornworm uh, if you get those guys you'll know it because they'll start consuming large amounts of foliage and you can uh, uh, take care of them with thumb and forefinger. If you want to spray, you know, you could use a safe spray like uh, BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. But uh, if you're, if you're, you know, keeping them good and healthy, your problems are going to be minimal. So uh, uh, get your watering right. Get them in good sun. If you want to spray with something that will help, uh, get some liquid seaweed and spray with that every few weeks. That's going to keep your plants stronger and make them more resistant to spider mites. But again, let's don't make this too more complicated than it really has to be. Tomatoes should be easy to grow, and you should be very successful with them. Okay, Bob. Sounds good. Now, when you decide next year 
you know, you're going to plant 20 plants instead of one. Then we're going to talk about a few additional things. How if you put them in the ground, you want to put something called rock phosphate underneath the root system. Uh, you're going to want to dust some Epsom salts over the surface of the soil. Uh, that would be one thing to watch for, you know, several weeks down the road when they start to produce fruit. Uh, occasionally you'll get this. It's not a disease. It's a syndrome. They call blossom end rot where just the bottom portion of the tomato turns dark and kind of shrivels. Uh, that's not a disease. That's a chemical imbalance in the soil. We correct that with Epsom salt. So, you know, I, I can tell you 20 different potential things to watch for, but I'm, I, I doubt that you're going to see many, if any, of these problems. And if you do, you call me and I'll tell you how. Now just focus on sunlight, proper water, and occasional fertilizer, and you'll be off to a good start. Oh, that sounds good, Bob. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. Have a great you too. Uh, Joyce is up next. Good morning, Joyce. Hi, Bob. Congratulations mo- to you and Roberta. It's oh, well, thank you for two five-year-olds to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, I was six and she was five. She always complains that I'm much older than she is, and it's a matter of six months or so. But uh, I I do thank you for recognizing that fact. And uh, it's it's funny when, you know, since you've been coming over here for just about all those 40 years, you were a very young lady yourself at the time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt about it. And happy Mother's Day to you, Joyce. What's going on today? Okay, two questions, mallow hibiscus and uh, crown of thorn. I rooted a mallow uh, a year ago and Mm -hmm. succeeded in having it grow, but it grew straight up six feet, and it would bloom along the way and just keep a little crown of leaves at the top. Of course, Uh the problem is shade and sun, but anyway, that's the point. It it survived the freeze. It's now putting up two shoots, and my Mm -hmm. question is, they're about a foot and a half tall and lots of leaves and look good. Is there some point where I could nip it or cut it in half or something and cause it to branch rather than just growing straight up? Great question. Uh, here's the story. I would just nip the end of it again. It uh, you won't get anything except a smaller plant if you cut it way back. But if you if you nip off the top of those two growths, here's what's going to happen. If it's getting a bunch of sun, then it's going to branch, and you know everywhere you nip it back, you probably have three branches come out. If it's too shady, it's just going to develop one of those buds, and it's just going to continue making one stem coming up. So branching depends on mainly on the amount of sunlight. Typically in really bright sunlight they will branch on their own. Uh, many times so the growers cut them back just to force them to branch early. So nothing at all wrong with doing that, but getting a bushier plant is going to depend on the amount of sun, not just the physical act of uh, taking off that, that uh, terminal bud. Okay. That's going to be hard to do, though, because you can see little teeny tiny flowers going. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, yeah, it, uh, you know, they are so beautiful, and there is no mandate to cut it back. And like I say, if, if shade is an issue, you may not accomplish anything. So, uh uh, just think hard about what you really want. I mean, it's it's rewarded you with two stems instead of one this year, so it's trying to do its part. So uh, if it's already budded, uh, I might be tempted to just let it go ahead and grow and bloom. <laughs> well, the freeze took care of uh, quite a bit of the shade, so mm-hmm. uh, that may 
also help. Okay, Certainly. let me move on. I know you've got people waiting up to the crown of thorns thing. Uh, I love crown of thorns, and I have these tiny ones and middle-sized ones, flower size, and uh-huh. the larger ones, but they're all top-heavy, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have a, an extensive root system, you know, not big, that it really anchors them. So I came up with two solutions, and you asked, which one is the better? To get a larger pot and, uh, say, maybe, they're now in, say, six-inch pots. And I okay. thought about going up to about a 10-inch pot and putting about a third of the bottom with rocks and then putting good soil on the top and either planting them in that or planting the pot they're in in that pot. So those are my two choices, but maybe you're going to be like Dave and says, I choose none of the above. <laughs> <So> <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> tell, tell me how big the plants are. We've got six-inch pots, but how tall and how wide are the plants? The plants aren't too wide because I kind of keep them narrow so that, they don't, that I can bring them in easier. They're about two and a half feet tall, and the little okay. miniature one that keeps tipping over is about 12 inches tall, but a real full top in a four-inch pot. Okay. It sounds like that they are big enough that they could, you know, certainly go into a bigger pot, the 4-inch into a 6-inch, the 6-inch into an 8- or 9-inch pot. But you never want to go too big when you move things up. But you also don't want to really, that, that new pot should be 100% soil. Uh, you're not gaining anything by putting gravel in the bottom of it. It'll just be less room to grow roots. So um, if weight is an issue, I'd simply uh, go to clay pots instead of plastic pots. I know that makes them harder to move around, but it also makes them uh, less susceptible to tipping over. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd leave the gravel out. But if you want to repot, you know, that's there's nothing at all wrong with that. Uh, I always say the two times to repot, especially a house plant of any sort. Uh, number one, when it's drying out so quickly, you just can't keep it watered. Number two, when you can't keep it standing up because it keeps falling over. Those are the only two times I'm going to think about repotting a tropical plant or a house plant. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. So, in other words, go with a little bit bigger pot, but keep it all soil. But then I could, outside, take that pot and stand it in a larger pot full of rocks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Or you could dig a hole in the ground and sink the pot down in the ground, but be able to, at the end of the season, when they need to come in, be able to just pull, pull them back up. Now, the problem with setting it into the ground or... Uh, into a bigger pot that might have any soil in it is it'll decide to put roots out through the bottom of the pot and then you're messing up the roots when you decide to bring it in. So if I were putting it into a bigger pot just for stability, I would just use an empty pot. And, um, you know, because if, if it's got soil in it, you don't want to end up with half your plant's roots down into the new pot that you're going to end up breaking off trying to get it free. So uh, uh, put it into... I've experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think anyone who's gardened for very long certainly has. So, yeah, repot them if you think they need repotting, and then put them into a heavier pot or, you know, get a couple of uh, hayite blocks or something and simply prop the pots up. It doesn't look especially attractive, but you're not looking at the pots, you're looking at the plants. So uh, um, just just do what works in, in your life and your garden. 
Okay, good. Well, again, to you and Roberta, you certainly follow the three things you can do in life. Give up, give in, or give it all you got. And you certainly <laughs> <have>. <laughs> Well, it's been a it's been a fun ride, and hopefully it'll continue for a lot longer. And uh, hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you for all you do for the world, Joyce. It's always oh, good to talk goodness. to you. Thank you, Bob. Bye-bye. You're welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's get a break in. Clint will be up uh, right after this. But I get to talk about Green Grow Organics and Sam Sitterly. And uh, Sam wants to remind you that what his company focuses on is simply improving the environment that your plants grow in and that means improving the soil improving the microbial life in the soil just just balancing the soil just creating the best possible environment for your plants to grow in whether it's an oak tree or whether it's bedding plants and uh, Sam and his staff have been doing this for uh, I don't know how many years about 30 years now I think something close to that and let me tell you they know what they're doing and they work with nature rather than against nature everything they do is organic never going to get any toxic problems products or any poisons in your landscape and Sam's there to do as much or as little now he's not a landscaper he's uh I guess you could call him a plant health specialist and uh, probably the best guy anywhere in this part of Texas on compost tea and things like that. But uh, by making the environment, the growing environment for your plants' roots as well as top better, you're simply going to have a more beautiful more beautiful landscape, and that's what Sam's all about, beautiful and healthy and easy to maintain. Uh, check out uh, his company. It's Green Grow, spelled out G-R-O-W, Green Grow Organics. Consultations are available, and he can set up a plan but without a long-term long-term contract for what he does to uh, help you take care of the things you need help with like fertilizing compost tea application and on and on his name sam sitterly his company green grow organics south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening. It's going to be uh, Clint and David and Diane, and Clint is up first. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good, sir. How about yourself? Oh, doing pretty good. Got a few quick questions for you. All right. Let's see, uh, I got my wife an orchid for Mother's Day and don't know nothing about orchids. Is that a good <laughs> indoor plant, outside plant? Uh, what, what's the best thing to do with that? Well, the variety you probably got is what we call a phalaenopsis. There are thousands, tens of thousands of hybrids of them. Um, it'll be easier, well, it, you, you can grow it either way. Outside, you're going to be worried about things, eating flowers and buds and grasshoppers and caterpillars and things like that. So most people grow them as a sunny house plant, uh, sunny window house plant. Uh, indoors, it would be almost impossible to give them too much sun. If you give them a little rest outside periodically, a little morning sun is fine, but no hot afternoon sun on this type of orchid. Um, in nature, they would be not growing in the ground, but they'd be clinging to trees or to houses. or They're, they're called epiphytes. They'd be growing up off the ground with those roots just out in the air. So we never pot them into potting soil. It probably came to you in sphagnum moss. Most of these things are coming out of Taiwan these days, and that's how they start them. At some point, you're going to want to repot it for her, probably when it's finished with its blooming. And at that point, you move it into fir bark. And uh, orchids can grow and, you know, bloom for many, many years uh, with good care. I mean, the the flowers can last six, eight, ten weeks. I had a friend that was growing one in a uh, wooden slatted hanging basket 
and I think he told me that uh, he went for like eight years and it was constantly in either bud or bloom. So orchids are real easy to get addicted to, but uh, um, the secret is good bright light, water really thoroughly when you water, just like Mother Nature does, but then let it you know dry out, not to stay dry, but wait until that medium that it's in dries out, and when it's time to repot, no potting soil, repot into a fir bark orchid mix. I would fertilize it, something like has to grow, I do that every two or three weeks, and uh, keep it away from ceiling fans, that, that moving dry air tends to shorten the life of the blooms, but uh, um, the only thing wrong with orchids is they become highly addictive. I got bitten in the eighth grade. I had three plants as a science fair project. By the time I got out of high school, I had 300. By the time I got out of college, I had 3,000. So be real careful about getting started on orchids, but uh, uh, they're, they're not difficult to grow if you get the light right and the watering right. Good deal. Now, on citronella plants for outdoors, are those good for deterring mosquitoes, or are they not much use unless you rub the break the oils out? <laughs> well, I tell people, yeah, I tell people you'll never see a mosquito land on a citronella plant, but you know, putting two or three of them on the patio is is not going to guarantee the mosquitoes stay away. They're just a geranium. They're just uh, uh, one of what we call the scented geraniums, and. Uh, uh, they may have some slight repelling qualities, and where people, you know, collect the oil and process it, uh, they make some wonderful insect repellents out of it. But uh, it'll it'll give you a nice fragrance, but it's not going to be a mosquito barrier, so to speak. Good deal. Now, when planting uh, new trees and, and tomato bushes and stuff, is it a good idea to dump like a tomato can of growing green at the bottom of the hole before you put the plant in? I certainly do. Tomatoes, I actually use a powdered rock phosphate, but I always follow it up with some growing green. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, never going to burn, and putting a good handful in the bottom of the hole, I think, uh, really helps get plants off to a good start. Good deal. Well, that's all I have for you today. I appreciate your time. Well, you and your family have a wonderful day, and uh, it's always a pleasure visiting with you, Clint. You ask great questions. Uh, let's see. Next up is going to be David. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm great. How about yourself? Great. Thank you. All right, this is probably going to be about the third time I've talked to you about this Mediterranean palm, but uh, I obviously the, the freeze got to it. Uh, and it was at, at one point I had one stalk that was probably 15 foot tall and it had a bunch of other little ones that really made a nice backdrop. And I had to cut them all back except one one stalk managed to survive. And, and it's got brand new fronds coming off of it. But uh -huh. that frond or that, that stalk is uh, it's probably eight foot and it's sitting there by itself. Now around <laughs> it, I got all these little ones coming up. Right. And... So my question is, that one remaining long stalk, could I cut that back really short to kind of get everything kind of even? And would it, new fronds come out from where I cut it or not? No. Uh, you can cut it back if you want to, but uh, any palm tree, when you cut the trunk, you kill the trunk. It does it has a totally different anatomical structure. I could bore you to death telling you all about how a palm tree trunk is different from an oak tree trunk. But uh, cutting it back, it will not branch out. You'll certainly get a more uniform plant because all your little ones will be about the same size. But what you do is totally up to you. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, Ultimately, you're going to have a multi 
wide trunk palm, uh, but that one trunk is probably going to be taller than the others. Were it mine, I'd probably leave the tall one at least for a while because it, it, it is adding some strength to the plant, but it does not branch when you cut it down. It, uh, when you cut it down, you might as well cut it as low as you can cut it because uh, that's the end of that trunk. Swell. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, the info as always, and have a great day. You do the same, David. Thanks for the call. All right, uh, Diane, let me get the break out of the way here so we're not rushing. Uh, Let's go ahead and get a break out of the way, and I get to talk to you about the Cedar Eater of Texas. And once again, a company, you know how I feel about them. They do great work, or I wouldn't be talking about them. They have been responsible for, ah, gosh, thousands of acres, tens of thousands of acres. And uh, it, it's not just cedar control. That is their main focus. That is what the company started, uh, built upon that. But, you know, they offer other services as well. They can, uh, they, they've helped the Forest Service out, coming in and cleaning up after forest fires. Down in South Texas, they help ranchers clear in those senderas because they can do more in a day than a man crew can do in uh, probably a month. Uh, They also have areas of oak wilt. They have a machine that can come in, cut those trees down safely, and grind them into a mulch with no danger of spreading oak wilt. But once again, uh, the main thing they focus on is getting rid of that cedar. They've got a machine that cuts it down to ground level and grinds it into a nice mulch all in one operation. Very environmentally friendly, effectively kills the cedar. May not keep uh, seeds from sprouting, but once that cedar tree gets cut down, it's dead and it's not going to come back. Learn more. Give them a call. They're such a good company with so many great services. The Cedar Eater of Texas, and their phone number is 210-745-2743. They get you through both North Texas and South Texas office. 210-745-2743. All right. Back to gardening. It's going to be Diane and Cindy are going to be the next two callers. And so let's say good morning and happy Mother's Day to Diane. Good morning. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm off to a good start to a beautiful day. How about you? Excellent. About the same. Um, okay, I have two questions. I bought the most beautiful concolius over at Shades of Green, and <laughs> okay. I put it in a big container, and uh-huh. something attacked it really bad. So I didn't know if it was caterpillar or slug or snail. So I sprayed it with BT, which seems to have slowed it down a bit but i don't know what do you think is is enemy it's usually is a caterpillar um now as you may or may not know concolius beautiful as they are spectacular as they are uh, i find them to be more brittle than other coleus so you're gonna have to you know treat it uh, gently and and be sure that uh uh, kitty cats and puppy dogs don't decide to jump on it or anything like that. But if the foliage is getting eaten, most of the time it's that big black woolly bear caterpillar is going after it. Okay. And so the, the BT, the BT the should right certainly, part. yeah, most definitely. Okay. And then one other quick question. I'm going to plant a couple of fig trees. Okay. Is it is it a problem to cut the bottom? They're in plastic pots now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut the bottom of the pot out and sink the pot so that they'd have protection from weed eaters and things like that. Um, yeah. Is that, is that okay? or 
It it is, other than you know, by virtue of the fact that ultimately that plastic pot is going to deteriorate and be gone, and the base of your fig is going to be six inches above the surface of the ground. So, um, I, you know, what I might do is, uh, you know, cut you know, cut the bottom out of the pot, but maybe also split the side. So that you can get the the fig down where you know it's at ground level, so to speak, but you've still got the plastic. Uh, leave at least three or four. Pull it up so that three or four inches of it are there to protect from uh, errant <laughs> weed eaters and who knows whatever else. I think that's a good plan. But because of the nature of the way figs grow and the fact that every so many years they're going to freeze back and have to start over. I really want that growing point down pretty darn close to ground level. I don't want it raised up six or eight or ten inches. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, and I think that was kind of what I was thinking, like dig a hole almost the depth of the pot. Yeah. Have the bottom of the pot cut out. That's fine. Um, Yeah, that's that's just fine. Okay, Okay, Bob, well, um, happy anniversary. Amazing. Well, thank you. It is... uh, (laughs) It's amazing how much fun it's been and how quickly the time has gone. And uh, probably heard Howard Garrett singing your praises on the air yesterday, too. So uh, uh, he's appreciating the things you send along to him, just like Roberta and I do. So keep up your good work, lady, and you have a very, very happy Mother's Day. Thanks, Bob. Y'all take care. Thank you. Bye. All right, let's get Cindy in here before the break. Cindy, if we run out of time, we'll just hold you through and pick it up after the news. But good morning. Good morning, Bob, and happy Good anniversary. Morning. Well, thank you Dad, very much. You're making me feel old. <laughs> well, you know, we're not old, but we've uh, we've definitely been around the block. We've been around the sun a few times, as Jimmy Buffett would say. Yeah, and I've known you almost as long, so that's pretty bad. <laughs> well, we were both very, very young back then. I think so. We must have been. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, couple questions. I've always wondered exactly when is the best time to put down uh, columbine seeds. There's you know, and that that's that, that's a great question, and yeah, it's uh. Uh, and, and I asked that question of our growers up in Denver, and, uh, they said plant the seed as fresh as possible. I told that to an old grower here, and he said, man, that explains a lot. He said, cause I had somebody tell me the seed needed to be really mature and dry, and I always got very low germination, and when I started doing what you said and planting very fresh seed, I got a hundred percent germination in a hurry. So, uh, um, that's the answer that I got from Columbine Country, which is the Rocky Mountains, and it certainly applies to our, uh, uh, you know, our yellow varieties, the Hinkleys and uh, related ones here. So plant the seed as fresh as possible. Well, it makes sense to me because that's nature. Nature's Absolutely. The seed. But yeah. other people say, oh, no, put it out in the fall. Like, no, no, it, no. You know, to put it out as soon as it forms. Okay. And now I notice a new seedling popped up in the middle of a deity. Uh-huh. Can I transplant that? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the smaller, you know, once the seedlings have a couple of true leaves on them, the smaller they are, the easier they will be to transplant. And, uh, Cindy, let's save that question for after the second question for after the news. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening on, uh, once again, a <laughs> just a, a really beautiful Mother's Day morning out there. We're going to get a uh, another question from Cindy, and then I guess Elroy call back with another question. And Richard, those will be the next three callers. So let's go back to Cindy, first of all. Good morning again. Okay. On the Rangoon Creeper, the one I found, it's about six inches tall. Uh-huh. So just dig it up now and go ahead and transplant it? Um, You know, it's coming. This is this is one that was there last year, and now it's just sprouting out again? No, no. This is a brand-new seedling. Oh, a brand-new uh, seedling. Four, four feet from the mother plant. Oh, in that case, if it is a seedling, by all means, uh, get a you know fairly good scoop of soil because Rangoon creeper, you know, is pretty deeply rooted. But um, uh, yeah, I would I would do it before it gets too big because it spreads a, a very widespread root system. At this size, you're going to get the majority of the root system that's there and have the best chance of success. So yeah, I think that'd be a good project this afternoon. Yeah, I've never known it to pop up seedlings like that. They do occasionally. I'm not going to tell you it's real common. Uh, and, you know, the gradually uh, the clump gets bigger. It's certainly not invasive. It's nothing like trumpet vine. But, uh, you know, Roberta's got two of them uh, flanking the gate that goes out of her interior garden out into uh, what she calls the compound. And that little clump started out probably two inches in diameter maybe 10 years ago. Now it's probably 12 or 14 inches across. And uh, there have been just a handful of seedlings sprout up. So uh, consider yourself fortunate. It's not at all common to have them grow up from seed. But uh, uh, it's just a neat plant. It's a beautiful plant. It's a fragrant plant. And even up in the hill country, even after our six-degree winter, uh, hers is coming back pretty widely. And I guess uh, I guess yours is probably doing the same. Yeah, it's doing well. It's very, very close. The seedling is very close to a deity. Uh-huh. And um, I don't know if, I, if I'm going to mess up the deities or not. Well, you just have to wrangle it, as she says. You just got to work at making it grow where you want it to grow. So uh, it, it's tough and hardy if you, you know, just... Uh, uh, trim it back, do anything you need to to make it fit the space. But if you can, if you can just encourage it to grow out and away from any place that it might cause a problem, uh, go for it because it's a wonderful plant. Okay. Now, do you recommend anything doing with the deities to where it's very thin in the middle? It died in the middle. Yeah, it will fill in on its own. You know, it's such a vigorous grower. I do think it's something that likes to be fertilized fairly regularly. But uh, I guess if you really wanted to, you know, you, you've got some dead material down there in the base, just like you would with a Boston fern or just about anything else. But I've never found it necessary. I find that over time they fill in just fine without any help from us. Okay. And uh, one more question. 
uh, I have Jatropha in a Duranta. Uh-huh. No signs of anything except for when I dig down under the soil, the roots have some green on them. I would just be patient. You know, uh, both of those things are hot weather plants, not just warm weather plants, but hot weather plants. Uh, the Duranta almost always comes back. Um, the uh, the Jatropa, maybe, maybe not. They are truly tropical. They are much less cold-hardy, so uh, I, I'm not as optimistic about the uh, um uh, the uh, Jatropa, but uh, you know the others should come back without any question. I think it just needs a little more time, a little bit more warmth. Uh, as our arborist friends are telling us, uh, don't write anything off until the Fourth of July. It certainly should be out by then. Okay. Okay. Well, I was I was hopeful since I was seeing some green on the roots, but nothing else. So, wasn't sure. Well, Mother Nature's been funny, and I still have things every week. I find something sprouting up in the garden that I thought was dead, and it's why I tend to cut things back rather than pull them up, because uh, yeah. this this was a, as you well know, this was uh, one for the record books as far as, uh, as I say, I've seen it this cold before, I've seen snow before, but I've never seen the combination of snow and cold and not quite as prolonged as we've had this year. So uh, we're just all learning, and, you know, it's there's a lot of it that I certainly can't explain, and I don't know anybody who can, where we've got plants side-by-side that should have both done well. That's kind of like the lady uh, earlier caller that had the uh, Anacacho orchid tree with two trunks, and one trunk came back strong and the other trunk is dead. So... Go figure. I, you know, uh, again, Mother Nature's got to keep us guessing, but it, I, I can live with that. I don't have to know everything, and I don't have to have an explanation for everything. But it has been a most unusual year. Yeah, my anacacha orchid too. I have a trunk that's split, but the leaves uh-huh. are all green. Yeah, yeah. So I just left it. I was going to maybe put some of that tree group in there. Mm-hmm. But that was the only thing that I thought I'd do, but it seems alive. Yep, and that's the best starting point in the world. And with the Anacacho, is, uh, as I'm sure yours is, we always find it grows and blooms better as a bush than as a tree. So I'm just thankful they're coming back out. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we will not be deterred. We will just move forward and enjoy what came back and replace what didn't if it's something we like. In some cases, and I love what... Uh, my arborist friend David Vaughn said said the only bad thing is all the damn red tip photinia didn't die. <laughs> Things that are biggest problems seem to come back strong, but welcome to life. Yes, and my next edge is coming back so strong too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mother Nature just has to play little games with us. So, Cindy, you have a happy Mother's Day. Give Terry my best, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, uh, let's talk to Elroy again. Good morning, Elroy. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, sir. Sorry, I forgot to ask one question. I'm glad you got back through. Some Monterey Oaks two years ago, Mm -hmm. and they're about they're now about fifteen foot tall. Okay, and one of them came back perfectly. And the other one's just uh, starting to come out on the horizontal branches. Uh-huh. It seems to me the central leader is dead. What do you, 
What do you do in a case like that? I'd wait a while before I do anything. Uh, I'm looking at the same thing, and again, that's one of those things, like Cindy and I were just talking, it's just hard to explain. I've got uh, a clump of three Monterey Oaks uh, on a portion of my property. Two of them look great, and the third one, which is, you know, very close, is just like you're describing. It's coming back very weakly. And, um, I, again, uh, my good arborist friends tell me that, you know, some things start to come out, and then they just fold up and die. I think most of them are going to come out, but uh, it's, it's too early to really tell. And, again, I think the 4th of July is when we're, when we're setting the date that we say, okay, it's either coming back or not coming back. I'm going to put off any shaping or pruning or anything till about that time. So, for now, just fertilize. Um, lightly, you don't want to fertilize heavily because too much nitrogen can create water stress on damaged trees. But uh, if we don't continue to get good rain, I'm hopeful we're going to move back into wetter weather, and I think that's going to help everything. But uh, I think you can find other things to get yourself involved in around you and your daughter's place there. So let's just let the Monterey Oaks go for a while. Uh, we'll talk again around the 4th of July and see how they're looking. You wouldn't remove uh, any of that foliage coming out on those horizontal branches. You know, every green leaf on the tree is helping the tree. Uh, the only way that the tree stores energy, gathers the sun's energy and stores it chemically, is through the green leaves. So at this point, where we've got a tree that obviously was hurt by the cold, I'm going to leave all the green on it that I can because that's what's going to help the tree get healthy again. And then once it's healthy, we can go in and do any pruning or thinning that we need to do. Okay, and on the fig tree, would you think the main trunk is dead? Probably so. And, you know, figs grow best as a bush, and um, if it's not dead, it's going to be very much weakened. The fact that you have new growth coming out from ground level, uh, I just haven't had time. That's what I'm planning to do with mine. Mine might be quite as big as yours, but the trunk on mine is probably a good eight inches across, and uh, my one of my chainsaws is just sitting there on the porch waiting for me to have 30 minutes to go out and work it over, and uh, I just haven't had that 30 minutes in the past couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm going to cut mine down probably about three or four inches tall and let all those new sprouts come up and take over. Okay. All right. Thank you again. It's my pleasure again, Elder. Thank you so much. Hi. Goodbye. Bye. All right. Let's get a break out of the way here, and Richard will be up first when we come back uh, right here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, <laughs> watching the world come to life around me out here. It's Mother's Day, lots of folks getting out and enjoying, and I uh, uh, hope you're going to do the same, and hope you've got ladies in your life that you're going to make feel very, very special today. Let's get back to these phone lines. We're going to talk to Richard and James and Tana, and Richard is up first. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Morning, sir. Bob, so I'm, uh, I want to preface this by saying I, I listen to you all the time, so I know about all the things that you uh, recommend and things to stay away from. So I wanted to, wanted to give you a situation and uh, tell you, tell, I guess you can tell me if I'm just being stubborn or uh, if there's a better recommendation you have. So okay. I have uh, about a 1,500-square-foot area in the back of my yard, and uh, there's, a, there's a rock wall that's about six foot that runs due north. 
and it, and the yard I'm talking about is on the east side of that, about 10 to 15 yards worth, so kind of skinny. Okay. okay. And so uh, last year I had some grubworm damage, um, and I've always, there's been spots where, because I have some live oak trees that the grass is pretty thin, but I've sent, uh-huh. sent out the trees pretty good. They're pretty, probably 175-year-old oaks, so they're the kind that don't really, aren't really bushy. They're kind of just right. big, pronounced limbs. So right. I do feel like I've got a little bit more sunlight back here, but um, it's a pretty high traffic area with dogs and so forth. Uh-huh. So I just don't feel like I have the same vigor that Bert, like Tiffway 419 would need to, to come back lush. So I was thinking about um, throwing out some high-quality Bermuda seed, if that exists, um, just to kind of get um, a jump start on it, because I just don't think it's going to come back like, you know, and spread out and be plucked like you would in full sun, so... I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, Bermuda is a high sun grass. And um, if you if you are really intent on, you know, growing good grass, uh, you're going to do better with St. Augustine than you are with Bermuda because its life requirement is probably half of what Bermuda is. Now, uh, Bermuda is definitely tough and hardy. But you're simply not going to get a you know a thick stand. Uh, it it's kind of like and everybody tells says oh zoysia will grow in the shade, zoysia will look thin and nasty in the shade, and your Bermuda is going to be the same way. So, um, and, and then you compound it with uh, canine feet pounding back and forth on it, and it's just it, it's always going to be you know something of a problem area, um, and it, it comes down to really whether you whether you want to try to maintain grass at all i mean it sounds like this might be an area that uh you might want to just keep it well mulched you could put down decayed granite if you want to give your puppy dogs a real good running surface um my suspicion is that uh what what is on the other side of the fence is it like a road is it a neighbor's yard what's on the other side of that north south rock wall it's kind of like an easement or a drainage area Okay, you know, my puppy dogs love to run right along the fence line. And another option would be to maybe put a two-foot or three-foot wide strip of decayed granite right along the wall if your dogs do intend to indeed run that and then uh, give them a, a nice place to run on and hopefully just hope that that will keep them from running so much on the grass that you're trying to maintain there. But um, yeah. uh, and, and I love Tiff, uh, you know, 419, Tiff Way, Tiff Green, good, good grass. But uh, it's just, you know, it, it's just never going to be the kind of grass you would like for it to have in the shade. There's just no replacement for the sun's energy. I mean, dump all the fertilizer in the world, all the water in the world, but the only energy source is the sunlight. And without that, uh, you're, you're going to struggle out there. But if you understand that and you're willing to put up with the fact that it's going to be thin, if that's the grass you want, that's the grass to go for. Now, if yeah, there are areas... No, I think I'm convinced that I, it may not ever be just, you know, full uniform like a football field, but I, I do feel mm-hmm. like with what I was able to trim out, I get about six to eight hours of sun, and then some of it will yeah. be filtered after that. Um, yep. I just wanted to, I guess my question also would be, I, I'm pro- I probably want to try one more attempt at, at trying to get good grass now that I've trimmed. Okay. I've already put several <laughs> sure. layers of compost out and stuff, but I wanted to know about, like, if you know anything about specifically about Bermuda seed, like Princess 77 or Arden 15, have you heard of any of those? 
You know, there there are new varieties that come out regularly, and I'll be honest with you, uh, if it were me, I would call Dean Williams over at Douglas King Seed. That is his business, and Dean knows more about the different Bermudas than anybody out there, and he has access to a wider range of Bermuda grass than you will grow anywhere else. And uh, uh, as far as convenience, I mean, he can ship it to your door. It's, it's not like you're giving up, you know, being able to buy it online. But uh, call Douglas King Seed and ask to speak to Dean. Tell him I told you to call him and uh, ask that question to him and He's he's a great guy, very honest, and he'll tell you the good and the bad of uh, you know of everyone that's out there. I know Blackjack is one of his favorites, and unfortunately, um, the ones that stay really low, uh, the seed grass that looks a lot like uh, Tiff is actually a variety called Princess, but it's it's a wheat grass. So uh, I, I I call Dean Williams. I'd love for you to call me back and tell tell me what you learned from him because uh, he knows Bermuda a whole lot better than I do. I think I may do that. I've heard you mention it, but I think it's my time to call them. So, well, it's and it's good company and good people. They're there Monday through Friday, and if there are areas that the dogs don't run and you want a grass look alike, uh, look at dwarf mondo, uh, the dwarf monkey grass. It's a dense dark green, just a wonderful ground cover for shady areas, and it doesn't look like it doesn't look like turf grass. But again, it's not uh, not the issues caused by a vining plant like uh, Asian jasmine or something like that. But if there are areas that the dogs aren't going to wear down, um, again, if it were if it were mine, but I you know I've got a huge yard for the dogs to run and acreage besides that. But uh, if it were mine, I'd probably put some stepping stones through there and then just plant the whole thing with dwarf monkey grass. But you need to do what fits your lifestyle and <laughs> keep those puppies happy however you can. So uh, uh, give me a call back and, and let me know what you learned from Dean and uh, how it works out for you. I sure will. I've heard all of your, all of your suggestions, and believe me, I've considered them. And it, it, those are probably going to win out at the end, the end of the day, but I want to give them one more try. So I'll let you know that. Well... You know, it's just uh, it's just understanding your options and not being over-promised. I would rather under-promise and over-deliver than the other way around. And the people that are selling a lot of these grasses are really over-promising and under-delivering instead. So, uh, But, uh, Dean, you can trust. And uh, let me know how it works out for you, Richard. I'll look forward to hearing from you. If it doesn't work, thank it's you, my sir. stubborn pride. So thank you. There you go. <laughs> thank you, sir. All right. All right uh, let's talk to James. Good morning, James. Good morning. Am I up? Good morning, sir. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Hey, that, that previous caller was very timely because I've got a very similar situation under my oaks. Uh, before I had these two dogs, I had a, I had beautiful St. Augustine, but they, they, took, care of it. they, they took it all out. <laughs> yes, anyway, sir. I've got some very little Bermuda on the uh, southern edge of, of this big oak, and the rest uh-huh. is kind of bare. Um, so that decay granite, I hadn't heard of that before. If I had heard you talk about it, I, I didn't think mm-hmm. so. Is that expensive, and it, is it beneficial if I was to mulch that under the canopy of this tree and put a border? Hey, I mean, is, is it yeah. a good mulch? Is, it, is, is there a nutrient value to it, and is it expensive? Well, it's um, not really much in the way of nutrient value, although it does contain some micronutrients. It does have a very low-level energy, a measurable energy called paramagnetism, which is is good for all living things. But um, it, it just combines the 
you know the the versatility of it's easy to spread it's uh it is very durable uh, again the uh when about what's it been 12 14 years ago when we bought two lots next to the nursery and wanted to put in parking but didn't want to do asphalt uh you know we we made a decayed granite uh, parking lot and it has stood up to even semis uh, don't recommend them back there but it is an extremely durable surface you'll get a few weed sprout in it we take care of that with the vinegar vinegar and orange oil spray um to me to me, nothing is less attractive than partially bare ground and half-dead grass. So it, uh, you know, it, they're just different ways to grow. Uh, you could put something, you could put a shade-tolerant ground cover in there, uh, such as Asian jasmine or dwarf monkey grass, or you could plant shade-tolerant plants like holly fern and aspidistra and things like that. You could put in decayed granite, and if you wanted to give it a little bit more life, you could then put some pots on top of it and, you know, plant shade-tolerant plants in those pots. It just just comes down to the look that you are trying to achieve. Now, is it expensive? It's probably it's probably online with wash pea gravel. It's certainly not prohibitive. Uh, I, I don't really remember. I was buying it by the semi-load, and I think... I know I used over like 110 semis of base to get this area ready. It's a pretty big sized area. And then I think I got like six semis of decayed granite to go on top of that. But um, uh, it, again, it, it's not cheap, but again, it's it's not expensive and it, it's very, very durable. The stuff's already about 40 million years old, so it's not like it's going to break down or cause any further problems. It's a great surface to... Uh, uh, to live on uh, one thing that you might consider um, what kind of what kind of flooring do you have in your house uh, I've got ceramic tiling carpet and some uh, hardy, hardy uh, all that faux uh, plank yeah yeah and, and the reason I the reason I ask is if you had hardwood floors uh, the one thing about decayed granite the dogs are going to pick a little bit of it up on their feet and they're going to track a little bit of it in um, and you know it it can certainly scratch a, uh, a a hardwood floor but you know your your faux wood and uh, your ceramic tile things like that not going to be any problem and you know carpets are going to be vacuuming in it anyway so uh, i wouldn't consider that uh, you know a, a definitely a deadly factor there I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is there, but if you had a hardwood house or if you had hardwood floors throughout the a house, I might discourage that if, if your dogs go in and out regularly. But with the flooring you have, I'd say decayed granite is a very good option uh, if if that's the look you're looking for. And um, if you want to see it, hey, just drive through and uh, look at the big parking lot on the west side of our nursery. You can take a look and see what it looks like after it's been in place for 14, 15 years. Okay, I've been in your parking lot, and I vaguely remember, but I, of course, I wasn't looking for that, so I might have to swing back by. It, that sounds like the way to go, but my biggest issue is my dogs dig. I can't break them from digging mm-hmm. um, because I'm in, gopher, I'm in gopher country, and that's their thing. And, well, does, does, that, does that, in fact, I just saw my lab. He has some two legs hanging out of his mouth. I think it's a frog. <laughs> Uh, okay, he'll be spitting it out pretty soon because of the poison glands in the skin. But uh, you know, it's 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 going to be. Let's just say the odd thing, and and you know, as a person with a couple of labs that I love dearly, 
when they dig a hole, I don't know where the dirt goes because there's never enough dirt to fill the hole back in. But uh, exactly. with the decay, yeah, with the decayed granite, you'll you'll find it easier to rake it back into the hole that they dig. But uh, oh, somebody showed me a, a funny poster or sent me a picture of it one time, and it's a fella out walking a dog that looks like a lab, and he says, uh, "Until I acquired a lab, I did not realize how much of the earth was edible." <laughs> And so, yeah, who knows why they the way they dig the way they dig? But uh, uh, it's definitely going to be a dog-friendly surface, that's for sure. Yeah, my previous lab I had before, he practically ate almost uh, my whole picnic table over the years. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. would appreciate the two that uh, uh, mine. Mine are taking a little vacation while I've got my partner's golden uh, for a little while. But uh, my two labs have their own special sign here in the office. It says, uh, caution, dog can't hold its liquor, L-I-C-K-E-R. I'm sure you can identify with that with your labs as well. So anyway, let me know what you decide on. I'll look forward to hearing how it works out for you, James. Okay, real quick, what what I really called about is uh, I I had a bottle of Hastagrow, which I've been using for years. I Uh potted up some plants uh, earlier this week, and I guess the wind blew it over. I got a big stain on my new patio. I've hosed it off, but it's black. Can I use peroxide or bleach to try to get oh, yeah. the rest of that brown off? It won't. Okay, there's no chemical it won't, reaction. Won't, yeah, no chemical reaction there. The problem is that <laughs> sometimes all of a sudden that area is going to be the cleanest place in your whole patio. So you wind up doing you know a bigger area than you planned. You can even use... Uh, you know, muriatic acid is dilute hydrochloric. You want to dilute it down before it gets on your grass and things like that. But that's what they use cleaning stains out of swimming pools and cool decking and things like that. And uh, um, there, there's not going to be any chemical reaction at all. And what you're getting is that good old dry humate that's in there. Uh, great for the plants, but it certainly does stain. So good luck on that one. All right. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And let me know what you decide and give those labs a pet for me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. Goodbye. All right, Tana, let me get a break out of the way here. You will be up next, and uh, Don will run those recordings, and we'll be right back with more gardening. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Our next two callers are Tana and Ken, and Tana is up first. Good morning, Tana. Happy Mother's Day. I thank you, sir. And a beautiful morning to you also. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay. This is going to be one of those freeze-related questions. Okay. We've had one one or two of those, so uh, we'll take as many more as you like. (laughs) Okay. I don't think this is going to be the same answer you gave the fellow with the fig. Because it's regarding a uh, Miho Satsuma. Uh Uh-huh. It has started coming up, uh, coming out above the graft. Excellent. And it's, I guess, a little bit over uh, 12, 14 inches. And Uh I have three very slender, thin sprouts that are now also about 12 inches long. Okay. Do I leave them that long? It's up to you if you want to make it branch more, if you want it to be bushier and branch down lower. 
you could just cut an inch off the end of them, but um, that it, all you're really doing is trying to encourage uh, a different shape and a thicker plant, and that is totally up to you. Uh, you know, miho is usually grown as a tree, and, but the only reason that they grow uh, citrus, tangerines in this case, as a tree is because it makes them easier to pick. Uh, you will always have more fruit on a bush than you have on a tree, so it just kind of depends. Uh, uh, I kind of liken it, uh, as you know, here at the nursery, we've got that giant Yopon holly. It's about 15 feet tall and 10 or 12 feet wide. And we made it a tree just because we had to have the space underneath it to display other things. Uh, it would have been a beautiful bush, but situation required that it be a tree, so we trimmed it up into a tree. So that's really the only consideration. If you want to make it like a triple trunk tree, let all three of them come up and grow. If you want to make it a single trunk tree just leave one and cut out the other two if you want it to be bushier uh, down low then I just like you know basically pinch the top out of each of those three uh, sprouts maybe you know take an inch off of that and that is provided it's in good sun it should cause it to thicken up below that point okay I remembered something at one time and it may not apply to this that when a tree starts growing you have all of the little branches all the way around. Right. And um, that if you cut off the bottom branches, in other words, these are the three, and it's going to continue to put on more branches up that appearing to be dead stalk. Trump. Probably not. Um, generally speaking, when you have what you have with several branches out coming out partway, partway up the trunk, I'd tell you about 95% of the time the trunk is totally dead above that point. I'd be very surprised to see additional sprouts coming out above, especially since these are, you know, 12 inches long now. I think you might as well just take your heavy-duty shears and cut everything, you know, above that point. Go up an inch or so so you're careful not to damage the three you have coming out. But I do not think you're going to have additional sprouts coming out further up the trunk. Okay. So I can just leave it as it is, and it's going to be sort of like a bushy tree? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, my Fuyu persimmon has not attempted anything yet, so I'm, I'm guessing that that one's probably dead, even though, as you say, wait till the 4th of July. I would definitely wait, and I would cut it back a little bit. Uh, these persimmons natively grow in a much colder climate where zero, I mean, they're basically Korean trees, and uh, they're in an area that goes to zero degrees regularly, so I would be very surprised uh, if the cold really did much damage. Sometimes they're, well, they are slow-growing, and sometimes they're a little weak coming out. I would probably take my pruning shears and prune it back by a third just to encourage it to come out, but... Uh, um, I, I'm going to be real surprised if it doesn't come out, but I think you can encourage it to come out, you know, by reducing the size slightly and concentrating those auxins that are rising up through the trunk. Okay. So in the past, somehow or another, I guess it was a rabbit. I don't know what else was to it, but 
at the uh, real close to the root flare. Mm-hmm. Something had eaten uh, part of it to where it started like someone just took a, a knife and sliced out a sure. little chunk. Which, so, in effect, girdled a part of it. Yeah, that part of it. So, But the rest of it might be okay. I couldn't say without seeing it, but I would expect no, that it would be. Yeah, there's okay. there's a good chance, and there's a good chance it will form a callus tissue and grow over that part that was gouged out. So, yeah, I'm I'm sure not going to pull the chainsaw out on it. You might wave a chainsaw at it just to threaten it and tell it <laughs> if that's where it's headed if it doesn't come out. Uh, one of my friends... <laughs> absolutely swears and this is one of my good grower friends and he said i've got a shrub that uh i just took out and waved the pruning shears at it and it was in full leaf the next week and i thought it was dead to start with so you know <laughs> believe what you want but i think you may be able to threaten these things into action occasionally so uh yeah just wave the saw at it and see if that encourages it to do anything but go ahead and cut back the limbs by about a third i think that will physically help the tree as well I will now that uh nibbled part has been there for year and a half, two years. Okay. Yeah. So it already had whatever callus is going to grow. But I really do appreciate your help with the um little Miho and thank you so much. Hey, it's always a pleasure, Tana. You have a wonderful day and I'll look forward to our next visit. Don, let's go ahead and get our last break of the show out of the way and uh we'll be back to see what time we have left to keep on going. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk five fifty KTSA and FM one oh seven one. I've heard about the streets of Goon. Mansions up on high A land where you'll never grow And no one ever cries And when we get to heaven God will know just what we like He's got a lake Just for me and my sweet by and by I'll have a silver boat that sparkles It'll be lined with fleece so wide I'll have a rod reel that's made of gold The fish will always buy <laughs> You're right, Don. There's there's our inspirational fishing song for this Mother's Day Sunday. But uh, once again, I just, uh, you know, you, you're an amazing man. Mr. Don Cooper-Stevens is my engineer every other Saturday and Sunday morning, and he treats us to a fishing song for the last break of the Sunday show every week. Thank you, Don. All right, let's finish up with a little bit of gardening. It'll be Ken and John. Ken is up first. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Um, I wanted to ask you about lemongrass, either growing it or using the essential oil mixed with something and spraying that uh, to uh, repel insects, especially mosquitoes. Uh huh. Or if there's something better. Well, lemon. I was going to ask about mixing vinegar with uh, orange oil to kill weeds what's the best mixture and can i just use like a little you know hand sprayer you know like a yeah you you can you can use yeah 
you certainly can. You can use any sprayer you like, and keep in mind that you're only coating the foliage. You're not soaking the soil. So uh, a little hand sprayer is fine for a small area. Pump-up sprayer is better for a big area. But uh, in any event, the, the mixture is two ounces, two jiggers of orange oil per gallon of vinegar. Uh, if you're doing it in that little quart hand sprayer, I put like two teaspoons of orange oil to a quart of vinegar, you know, in that smaller, smaller sprayer. It does not keep once it's mixed, so you only want to mix up as much vinegar and orange oil, you know, as you, as you really need. So, uh, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's how I would, uh, that's how I would handle that one. And, and now what was your principal question? Would you, would you, would the, vin- the vinegar you don't dilute with water, you just pull? No, 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 it's, it's vinegar and orange oil only, no water, no water added. Okay, all right. And I want to ask you about lemongrass. I yep. understand you can take lemongrass essential oil and mix it in a sprayer with a lot of water and spray it out there and the other thing it is told me is if you just throw coffee grinds out there it'll keep the mosquitoes away you know all these different things seem to work on some mosquitoes but not on all of them um lemongrass is uh, there are actually insect repellents based on lemongrass and you know it's a very good essential oil my experience with all of these natural products is they work for some people and some people they don't um so uh, but lemongrass is is a pretty plant to grow and if you uh, if you're a, a chef you know it's used very widely in thai cooking um it is not cold hardy if you're going to grow lemongrass it's going to make a big clump by the end of the summer but you always want to dig up at least a piece of that clump and bring inside uh you know growing a little pot through the winter months because even a mild winter it usually freezes and dies outside but it is very very easy to grow i i don't know exactly how you would concentrate the oil from it i suspect you might steep some of the leaves in a small amount of water and steeping of course means boiling the water first and then uh, throwing the leaves in there and letting them steep you might be able to make a liquid you could spray around but i i can't imagine being able to press the oil out of it i don't know exactly how they extract the oil you can buy you can buy uh, lemongrass essential oil. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I know you but can, you but uh, to, I, uh, you need to dilute it because full. Oh yeah, diluted yeah. on a person with a, a carrier oil is a good good uh, insect repellent. Right, full right. Strength, it may be irritating. Oh, I'm sure it would be like most essential oils. I'm sorry, I thought you were wanting to grow your lemongrass to make your own essential oil, which you could probably do, but. Uh, you know, again, I think you just almost have to experiment with it. I think that uh, uh, you could certainly dilute it. You could probably use it for an area spray, and it would keep the mosquitoes out for a little while, uh, same way orange oil does, the same way garlic does. And it would be a fun thing to do if you're having a party or something like that, and you wanted to create a pleasant aroma and run off some mosquitoes as well. But I don't think you would get a real long-lasting effect of it. And I know we have people that want to put a pot on a pot of lemongrass on their neck deck, and they think that's going to eliminate the mosquitoes. That's just not going to happen. So uh, experiment with it and let me know how it works for you. And uh, let me go ahead and get John in here before the end of the show. Uh, good morning, John. Hi, John. 
Thanks. Good morning. Uh, I had a, my question is I have several uh, Italian Cypress. Right. And of course, due to this uh, February uh, cold cold uh, weather, mm -hmm. um, some of them just slowly started drying up. You know, turning uh -huh. uh, brown, but not all right. of them. Also, yeah. Uh, my question is: Is are they are they totally gone and hard? How do I know that? If if not, are they going to come back? And if so, you know, how long is that going to take? That's a good question. And Italian cypress is a pretty plant short term in this area, but ultimately, I think is a lousy plant. It just it's susceptible to galls. It's susceptible to diplodia twig dieback. It's susceptible to red spider mites. You're very seldom going to see a big Italian cypress. is really pretty. They always look. They're great for the first four or five years. And right. then they just start thinning out. And unfortunately, um, you know, probably the cold was just a part of the problem because uh, I, I imagine the plants were already suffering some of the other problems before the cold hits. And the chances are not good that they're going to come back out and really make a pretty plant. It's just, it's not like a pittosporum or viburnum or something that you can cut it back and let it come back out again. And it's once again just a beautiful plant. Italian cypress. Uh, if you just love them, you're probably just going to have to replace them. You're going to frustrate yourself in spending a lot of money trying to restore them, and it's just not going to work on that plant. Oh, I see. Any suggestions as far as something familiar to that? Well, nothing looks nothing looks exactly like it, but for an upright plant, uh, there are some uh, varieties of Japanese yew that grow almost straight up. Uh, there are some varieties of yopon holly. In fact, there's even one called sky pencil. I don't think that's the best. I think probably the best of the upright ones is one called Will Fleming, and they will make a very upright growth where you're looking for just a lot of uh, vertical structure and. Uh, uh, those, I, I love those, especially the Yopons. Uh, they have very few problems in this area. They're resistant to deer, and they'll be pretty for the next 50 years. Okay. And I tell you, if you want to discuss this further, we'll have to do it next week because I'm five seconds yes, away from noon.